Welcome to Unworldly Everything. You have now opened the door to higher worlds and unanswered questions. On the show, we seek the fringes of our mental limits and deep dive into all things superhuman, supernatural, and paranormal. We are your hosts, psychic medium Bonnie McCliss and my psychic daughter, Julia Gerber. Join us as we move through a journey of awakening this strange, mystical, spiritual revolution. Have you ever thought about your soul experiencing many lives? Most people I ask this question, do you believe in past lives? hesitate to even respond. It's not that they don't believe in the concept. They just haven't put much thought into it or anything beyond the life they're currently in. I mean, our present life is enough to deal with. Who really wants to deal with the complexity of managing multiple lives? Dozens of more relationships, painful experiences, consequences and the overall struggle of a growing and ever-evolving soul. To some, it may seem counterintuitive to go digging in this deep archive of the soul's past, but actually, it can be one of the most healing experiences one could encounter. Past lives almost always hold the missing links to your current life. The soul doesn't experience lives like a one-and-done movie, It's more like an ever-continuing and dramatically building mini-series. On that note, why don't we remember our past? We think of the brain as a memory bank of all experiences. But the brain is also equally as responsible for wiping memory. The brain is your moderator, constantly sweeping and archiving thoughts and moments that are not topically useful to your present life and experiences. This is why we don't walk around thinking about our first birthday cake or failing our third grade spelling test. We would struggle to commit to our present day learning opportunities if we were always walking around thinking about the hundreds of other moments we've encountered. Perhaps this is why we have so much inaccessibility to the rest of our brain beyond the small percent we use on a daily basis. Could it be possible that some of our powerful, ancient memories are stored in all of that junk DNA until we're able to handle our own truth? Even the greatest scientists are mystified by the human brain and body. How can we be such a pristine organism of evolved life and have all of these internal time capsules within us that we are told is just extra DNA or dead space? It would be like putting together your TV stand and having 17 leftover parts and screws. Something would be very wrong, and your TV stand would most likely collapse under pressure. Perhaps this is why we are designed to seek out our very own missing pieces. Past lives is actually a concept that we find strewn throughout many civilizations. Some religions have cases and accounts and evidence of past lives as a phenomenon even in ancient times. 
In the 2nd century BC, the Hindu scholar Pantanjali, in his Yoga Sutras, discussed the idea of the soul becoming burdened with an accumulation of impressions as part of a karma from previous lives. Pantanjali referred to this process of past life regression as a reverse birthing and saw it as a way to release current problems through visiting memories of past lives. Jainism also believed the only way to heal the soul's ancient pain was through past life restitution to resolve the unresolved issues that carried over from previous lives. The seven truths of Jainism teach that the soul and its attached karma is so intensely enmeshed that it can, in so many words, stick to your soul. This idea of working through accumulated karma from other incarnations can be found as a staple teaching in the ancient seven mystery schools. If you're not familiar with the mystery schools, basically, they were the Earth's first belief systems and philosophies. They explained ancient knowledge about humans and their origin, and information that was taught supposedly straight from the source. This knowledge forms the foundation for many of the mystics' esoteric teachings, including the shamanic societies. Even some Christians believe that the doctrines around past lives were admitted early on by the Catholic Church to keep people accountable to their present life. There was a fear that if people were allowed to believe they had multiple lives, they would not pay taxes and follow the current dictatorship. So let's go and take a look at some cases that capture this phenomena of many lives and many memories. Throughout history, there have been countless cases all over the world of children having vivid and distinct memories of a life before, explaining details and intimate memories that could only have been known if they truly had been another person. In 1946, Joanna Pollock was born to John and Florence Pollock. Five years later, their second daughter, Jacqueline, was born. The two sisters were close to one another, and Joanna often mothered her younger sister. At the age of three, Jacqueline fell down a well on accident and got a small gash above her right eye near her nose. This formed a permanent scar that was especially visible in cold weather. Jacqueline also had a roundish dark birthmark on the left side of her waist. This bit of information will be worth noting for later in the story. Tragically, though, when Joanna was 11 and Jacqueline was 6, on the morning of May 7th, they were struck by a car and killed while walking to church with a friend. John and Florence were devastated by the loss of their two daughters. However, John, despite his Christian faith, had a strong belief in reincarnation and prayed for his girls to come back to him in another form of life. Florence, however, objected to this notion, and for a time the dispute threatened their marriage. But after some time, Florence soon became pregnant again, and her doctor predicted a single birth, based on the palpitation and fetal heartbeat. And there was no history of twins in either of the parents' families. However, against all odds, she bore twin girls on October 4, 1958. The girls were then named Jillian and Jennifer. And even stranger still... Jennifer had a birthmark that looked just like Jacqueline's scar above her eye, and a second birthmark in the same place as Jacqueline's on her waist. 
As Jillian and Jennifer got older, they began exhibiting signs of behavior that had all but mirrored that of their late sisters. They played with the same toys, played the same kinds of games, and even had an intense phobia of cars. On one particular occasion, when a car had veered towards them when they were out with their parents, John noticed the girls cringe in terror and cling to each other, crying, The car! The car! It's coming for us! Perhaps being reminded of the fate they had met in a previous life. A man by the name of Ian Stevenson investigated the case after seeing a newspaper coverage in 1963. That same year, when the twins were four years old, he met the family at their home, interviewing the parents extensively and examining the strangely placed birthmarks. He met the family again in 1978, when the twins were 20. At that point, he had blood tests arranged to determine their zygosity and found that they were monozygotic, which meant that they were identical genetically. And so genetics could not explain Jennifer's birthmarks. Not even an influence within the womb could have caused the correspondence with Jacqueline's scar and birthmark. There is a fair bit of criticism against the Pollock girls' case. Some experts and other investigators believing that the twins' behavior was imposed and taught to them to replicate that of their late sisters. John's strong and unwavering belief in reincarnation was also called an obsession and controversial even with his own wife. However, no matter what you believe, there's no denying the strange coincidence of Jennifer's birthmarks matching that of Jacqueline's, despite genetic science deeming their existence impossible. It certainly makes one think twice. In the year 2000, a young boy named James Leininger fell in love with World War II planes after visiting a flight museum. Shortly after the visit, though, at almost two years old, he began relaying a knowledge of plane facts that astounded his parents. He then began having nightmares and would cry out at night, screaming, Airplane crash on fire. When his mother asked about the dreams, he told her that they weren't dreams, but memories. He recounted that he had been shot down by the Japanese and even identified his plane as a Navy Corsair. At two years old, James told his parents that he had flown off a big boat called the Natoma and knew a man there named Jack Larson. And after some research, they found that the U.S. Navy actually did have an escort carrier near Japan where James claimed to have been shot down. The carrier was called the USS Natoma Bay. Later on, James's father, Bruce, had gotten a book called Battle for Iwo Jima, 1945, as a soon-to-be Christmas present for his own father. As he flipped through the pages, he came across a picture of the island showing Mount Suribachi, and James pointed to it, proclaiming that that's where his plane had crashed. As James got older, he would draw battle scenes with planes and sign them as James III. And when asked why he did this, he replied casually that it was because he was the third James. Eventually, James's father reached out to a veteran who had been stationed at the Natoma Bay, and he learned that near the end of the war, on one of the ship's final missions at the Battle of Iwo Jima, a pilot had gone missing and was presumed to be shot down by the Japanese. This pilot was 21-year-old James M. Houston Jr. Even more shocking, though, is that James Houston Jr.'s wingman, Jack Larson, whom young James had mentioned knowing in this life, even came forward and confirmed the events leading up to Houston Jr.'s death. Young James started to be investigated from outside researchers and historians. He continued to give more details about his past life and his family before this one, and so his parents sought to find any surviving members of Houston's family and eventually found his sister. 
When she was told the details that James had spoken of, she confirmed many of them as factual, much to her own amazement. In today's time, it is incredibly easy to access any kind of information we may need, but back in the 2000s, it would have been hard for James, much less at the age of two, to have recounted these events with such clarity and accuracy. From everything involving his family to even daily life aboard on an aircraft carrier, skeptics have been hard-pressed to rationalize his case even to this day. One of the best ways to access your past lives on demand is to experience a hypnotic regression. Past life regressions can be done on just about anyone. The only prerequisites are to have an open mind and an IQ over 60. A hypnotherapist is trained to relax you and the central brain, to assist you in reaching for a theta state of mind, or to access what we call astral memory or cellular memory. Some people, when they think of hypnosis, their mind goes to stage hypnotists, where people in the audience are made to cluck like chickens, or not much more than a magic show. We have the great Mesmer to thank for this. Mesmer was the forerunner for modern practice of hypnotism. And actually, that's even where we got the word mesmerizing. He would put people in a trance, leaving them dazed and confused. Afterwards, when they resurfaced, they had no memory of what just happened to them or what they were asked to do in an altered state. A well-performed past life regression couldn't be farther than this wacky sideshow. You will remember everything you encounter as you're retrieving these past life memories. It often is experiences that you wouldn't have expected. You are guided on a journey to encounter past people and places of great significance to your soul's incarnation. You will seek the defining moments in a life that have caused you great pain and fear, as well as your greatest talents and triumphs. One of the aspects of past life regressions that made me a firm believer in the truth of this process was the strong emotion people would encounter. I have witnessed extreme grief about the death of a child a person has never known in this current life, or fear of circumstances that would have otherwise been foreign to my client, and most of all the detailed accountings of death and the experiences had in the afterlife. Many have relayed the same details of where we go after we die, and how we are debriefed and congratulated by our angels, guides, and loved ones for this successful journey. Once a person has revisited these great traumas and long-lost passions and loves, almost everyone experiences some relief, if not absolute relief, in their current life. Just the sheer witnessing of one's past and bringing it to our more conscious mental territory is enough to break the unshakable pain that binds us in our current day. Sometimes pain is the first indication that trauma can be coming from places beyond our understanding. Sometimes we can experience things like deja vu, knowing we have been in certain places before, or even feeling like you know someone inside and out, although you just met. These are considered information leaks. This is indicating that your soul is all but begging you to go deeper and remember the truth of your existence, or your existence is. 
A perfect example of a past life pain debilitating a present life was a client that came to me a number of years ago. She was desperate. She had extreme anxiety and a very bizarre fear of stepping foot on the grounds of a church. She tried multiple times to assuage this pain and anxiety, reaching out for people in spiritual sects and churches to give her some direction. But it was strange because the more she would try to encounter these religious principles, the stronger her anxiety would become. Not only did she have this strange fear of churches, once my client went under into the regression, it didn't take long for images to come into her mind, rapidly explaining the missing pieces. She accounted being a young girl on one lonely cold evening stuck out in the woods by herself. She saw horses and torches coming from the road near the woods. She immediately felt this pit of pain and fear in her stomach. Her intuition told her something very, very wrong and bad was getting ready to happen. She knew her parents were not far away. In fact, they were congregating for an evening church service just a few yards away. She believed that maybe she snuck out to use the restroom or just to get some fresh air. My client began to watch the horses and the men as they closed in on the tiny church. They threw the torches and barred the doors of this church, burning everyone inside alive. My client experienced great emotion and pain as she recounted this. We quickly moved her beyond this painful experience all the way to the end of her days. There were good times too. She ended up getting married and having five children of her own. When I brought her out of the regression, we were both just in awe of what she had recounted. I looked at her and said, are you okay? I mean, what do you think about all of this? And I just remember her saying, thank God I knew it. I couldn't explain it, but I knew it. I feel like I can finally find some peace now. This stands out in my mind as one of those extreme cases of pain and anxiety that's just coming from some unknown vortex of the past. Another experience that was just shocking to me personally was that of my own daughters. I remember Julia, when she was little, was extremely headstrong. I had so many different issues and difficulties with this sweet child. Um, but one of the things that really stood out to me was that she was extremely clingy, as most kids can be. Just to me, though, not necessarily to anybody else, not to her father or her grandparents. She would scream and throw herself down if I would leave without her. She often would say to me, I'm just scared you're never going to come back. This perplexed me because I never left her. As she got older, we tried to do all of the things that normal parents would do, you know, get your kid to go and ask for ketchup, you know, at the McDonald's. And it just seemed to paralyze her to speak out to a stranger or to leave my side. We put her in softball, soccer, trying to get her to just be more well-rounded and find herself a place in the community. One bizarre thing happened, though, when we put her in softball. She would step up on the home plate, pick up the bat, get ready for the ball to be pitched to her, and she would go into an anxiety attack. 
my husband and I couldn't quite figure out why she was having all of these reactions. None of them seemed to make sense. I'll go ahead and turn this over to Julia so she can tell you the rest of this incredible story. And I'll have to say, after this regression, she was never the same. Roughly around the time that I was 12 or 13 years old, mom was finishing up getting her certification at hypnosis school, and she asked me if she could practice doing a past life regression on me. We set up a massage table, and I laid down on it, and she started the process. And eyes closed, I breathed deeply and followed her guided hypnosis. She walked me through a series of other steps, and deeper and deeper I fell invested into this world in my head that had just began seemingly creating itself. At first, it felt like my imagination. Whatever popped in my head was just random thoughts and images that didn't pertain to anything. But as the regression went on, these thoughts and blips of images created a whole life I had once lived, and shockingly clear memories that I remember to this day. First, I saw that I was a young boy, very close to my own age at the time, perhaps a bit older, around the age of 14. I had a younger brother that was around 8 or 10. It was just the two of us and our father that lived in this small apartment in a crowded urban city. I remember it being similar to Chicago, but I've never been to the city in this present life at least, so. The regression went on, feeling like a dream. Mom asked me questions about this past life and directed me to different important events that I might have experienced. I recounted to her that my past mother had left when I was young, packed up with suitcases and leaving us behind. And I can almost remember her curly hair and looking back at me one last time before pulling those, those suitcases with her and disappearing from view. I also remembered that my father was constantly irritable and had a habit of drinking constantly. My little brother was quiet and didn't do much but play video games all day. Our apartment was nothing but a small living room, cramped kitchen, and a small four-chaired dining table, and a hallway to the right of the front door that led to a bathroom and two bedrooms that stood across from one another. I was young enough to go to school, and I went to one of those public city schools that were riddled with drugs and dropouts and an ominous influence of gang life. Everyone dressed like the actors in the movie Grease, a movie I still have never seen, but know enough about to equate it to what I saw in the regression. I had a few friends, if any, and mostly kept to myself. I carried a dusty and well-worn orange backpack with me, and that backpack seemed to be the only real color I saw anywhere. Like, the whole world was dim and faded except for this one object that I was strangely fond of. I'd picked it out myself, and it was a gift, maybe from my mother, I don't know for sure. In any case, one day, I was walking home from school, down the back alley streets of this supposed Chicago-like city, and we lived in a pretty bad, low-income sort of area. I think it was raining, or had to have been earlier that day because the pavement of the streets were wet. I remember staring at the road as I walked, doing everything I could to ignore the pack of boys that had begun following me down the road. They were older than me, high schoolers, or dropout thugs, no doubt. I recognized a few of them as trouble, so I just kept walking, and they kept following. I remember them calling out to me, jeering insults of some sort, and eventually they got in front of me and blocked me from walking any further. The rest that followed was kind of a blur. 
I'm not sure what was said or how it escalated. I just know that some of them had held bats or old metal pipes, and something snapped. I was badly beaten, and the last thing I saw as my perspective drifted up towards the sky was a blood-stained orange backpack on the wet pavement. So I've done countless past life regressions since the beginning of my career. And I mean, I've had so many beautiful experiences with people. One of the strange things that, that does tend to happen in these regressions is that people will account places and events that seem to cross over in time and history. Sometimes dates and historical events don't always match up in some linear timeline. Although it may sound confusing, past lives are actually not past at all. They're more likely or most likely parallel lives, lives that you're experiencing all at once. It's just that your consciousness can move in and out of these experiences. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. My belief is that past lives are probably some of the most important things for us to review in this current time in our existence in 2020. Time is speeding up. The experience of time is speeding up. It means that now more than ever, we are beginning to experience this misunderstood anxiety and pain and fear. Pain that we've experienced from other lifetimes or tragedies are coming to our surface and asking for our attention. So if you've been experiencing strange phenomenon, pain, fears that are coming out of nowhere, this could be your memories coming back together, asking for you to do the work and the healing. So I know this is kind of hard to understand and to think about it in a linear sense, but the point is, there are fragments of your soul waiting for you to recognize pieces of your mind and consciousness that want to introduce themselves to you. This reality weaves in and out of the next, our memories and experiences overlapping and creating a beautiful web in our souls and in the world around us. Perhaps past lives and reincarnation can be explained away by rationalization or modern science. But the whispers of the past, present, and future remain. Thank you for listening to Unworldly Everything.